Hey, this is Kat Kahn from Knoxville, Tennessee. And Tanya Rice from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are grateful you've joined us. And we cannot wait to share with you the musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learn, laugh, and enjoy. And we hope you will share with us any of your comments or questions. Without further ado, this is Two Pittas on a Pod. Hey, Kat. Hey, Tanya. How the heck are you? I'm just fabulous. And I have a new headset. And hopefully it sounds good. I, I like it too. You don't look like a cyclops with the microphone in your eyeball. I know. And it's got a very pliable microphone. So I can put it Ooh. as far away from my little face as I want it to. That's perfect. That's cool. <laughs> so then if I take a little sip of water, then I'm not like making all kinds of weird noises. Yeah, it's great. I dig yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the sequencing that is involved in yoga, the why of it. And, you know, because our students come in and they're like, that was a great class. And they leave and they're like, I've, I felt... I feel so good now and I didn't know I needed all of that. And like, it always works exactly the way it was supposed to, even though maybe we walk in with a list and it's funny because the other day I had been, you know, teaching yoga teacher training and I had gone through my sequence and I maybe only got halfway through. I must've been talking a lot or really Uh whatever. But then the same thing had happened the day that Kyron and I had been tag teaming our Thanksgiving classes. We went in with this whole list of posts and in the middle we're like yep cut that out cut that out, cut that out. <laughs> but we, we were running out of time mm-hmm. and and it's funny because the phenomena happens either way you know a yoga teacher will walk in with an intent to do a to b c d to e and end up diverting completely yeah. from their sequence because of maybe what they see in the room or they'll race through their sequence and be like shit i got 20 minutes left what am <laughs> i gonna do now you know so it's it's never a perfect science and it never should be it mm-hmm. should always be fluid this sequence list is a general guideline mm-hmm. and you should feel comfortable knowing that if you don't follow this exact list there's not a single student in the room who knows whether or not you followed the exact list mm-hmm. and always make your list in pencil because it will change you know there's nothing worse than planning a backbending class and you get there and you have three of your students that have fused backs and the rest have back pain. <laughs> so, yeah. No will post, but things happen. I think a lot of times when I am, I, I have so many different ways of planning how I'm going to sequence stuff. I do a lot of times, especially recently, I've been going back to the basics in my advanced class and breaking down inversions and arm balances like the people have never done them before. So what I generally will do with that is pick one pose that I'm going to work towards. And that is a great way even if you're doing your own at-home practice, just pick one pose you want to work towards and then you can think about all the components that you need to make to get into that pose. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a really hard pose. It doesn't have to be crow or handstands or whatever. It could even be your, you know, eagle pose, maybe your in pose or even a perfect down dog and holding it for eight breaths or however many. But when you think about it, you want to think about increasing your level of difficulty in pose.
poses that are going to help stretch and prepare your body to get into the your peak pose. Yeah. And that's a great way to put it. You know, as we, you and I teach yoga teacher training, we're trying to describe this to our students. It's that discussion of what will prepare you for that peak middle part of your pose, class, whatever, mm-hmm. and then what's going to help cool down and rebalance you after that pose. And that's that's the whole purpose of a sequence of a class is to be that beautiful bell curve where you're working towards the peak and working back down the mountain when we're done because mm-hmm. we don't want the cat to run up the tree and then not be able to climb itself back down because Mm -hmm. calling in the fire truck is never a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important too, because even in a restorative class or a yin class, you're still trying to take the person up the mountain, work on that healing, those health benefits, and then take them back down the mountain so that when they leave class, they leave class with their central nervous system back quieted. Everything is you know, working so that when they depart, they feel better than when they came in the door. Mm -hmm. And, and there's intelligence to how to choose that, where to place that peak. We never want that peak anywhere before the first half. We want that peak somewhere half to two thirds, maybe three quarters if you're really trying to push a short class, but really half to two thirds so that you have at least a third of the time for cool down. Right. To bring it down. Yeah, to bring it back down. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing in November and December heart opening in every single one of my classes in some way, shape, or form because the holiday season was so stressful for people. And so I, and I never have really done that, chosen one particular thing. Now, it wasn't one particular pose because, like I said, in the advanced class, we have been going back to the basics, but it has been very fun for me as an instructor to always keep, you know, the heart opening and the heart chakra in front of my mind. So seeing what I can play with in the poses to get me towards whatever my peak pose may be, but to keep heart opening in there too. And it makes it really fun for your class, especially if you announce that, you know, we're going to do a lot of heart chakra work this class, and we're going to focus on breathing in green light, filling up our heart space, and then holding that in so we can give it to others or whatever you might want to say. I love to watch the people's face when I have them, like last night, I had them all holding crescent lunge with their arms out to the side, kind of like the front of the Titanic ship. I had them holding like that and I had them picturing themselves breathing in the green light and filling their heart space up and then sending it out to one person that they were picturing in their mind. And the look on their face was just, you know, pure joy. It was just so fun. So as an instructor, you can think about what kind of a emotion do you want to bring out in the people that are in your classes also. So if you are not really necessarily working on a peak pose, you may be working on a feeling that you want them to have. And the poses are just kind of decoration. They're just tinsel. Yeah. And and there's a lot to be said for how much you can impact the class by tying your specific poses and sequence into a theme or flip 
choose the pose and the sequence and then figure out the theme that you want to weave through it. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not what came first, the chicken or the egg, because it could be either. Like you could mm-hmm. create this beautiful sequence and be like, okay, what do I want the theme to be? Or you could be like, ooh, I love this theme. How do I build the sequence to reflect around it? Feeling? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in it works both ways, right? And one of the things that I learned early on, and I don't know if I can claim the idea or if somebody had introduced the idea to me. But when I was young in creating my sequences, if I was doing them on the computer, I would color code them a little bit like an ombre of colors leading Mm -hmm. up to the peak pose and then a cool down of color. So I would start with my warm up poses being like yellow then I'd move to orange and then I'd move to red and then my peak pose was like bright bold purple and then my cool down poses were a shade of purple blue and then my really cool down poses were blue and I literally just took them from the hot side to the cool side Mm -hmm. and so when you look back at my sequences they were color coded and I was like okay yeah you're completely a nerd (laughs) it really isn't necessary to do that but I do think it is necessary whenever you're creating a sequence to denote what your peak pose is, whether you circle it or highlight it or put an asterisk by it, just so that if you're in class and you do find A, you're running out of time, or B, you want to repeat something that you remember, it's probably better to repeat the stuff prior to the peak pose mm-hmm. and then leave your cool down the same length of time kind of thing. And so I think, you know, just having that knowledge of, oh, okay, that's my peak. I need to fill 10 more minutes before I get to that peak. Mm-hmm. I'm going to repeat poses four to nine, two more times, mm-hmm. and then move mm-hmm. into the peak pose because we'll really be ready. I do love repeating. And one thing that I think always is surprising to the students, and I'm sure you've done this many times, because it's definitely not unique to me. But if you do, like, let's say you're doing five-pointed star to triangle to pyramid to crescent lunge and then taking it back the same way you came from from that crescent lunge to pyramid to triangle to five-pointed star. It is always fun because the people do get to revisit it, but then they know where they're going back to. So even if you add another pose, and I love to do add-ons, like start with one thing and then add one pose to it and then do it on both sides, then add another pose and go all the way through it, come all the way back out of it, then do the other side. And so when you're doing that for a class, it does it helps the people really focus on how they're doing the poses because they know what's coming up next. They know where it's coming. And that's something that a lot of the styles of yoga that do sequences, that's one thing that people like about those, that they know what's coming so they can really focus on their form. They can focus on getting the most benefit out of what they're doing because they have not just one pass through a pose. They have a two passes through a pose or three. And so it's it makes for a very 
very nice way to do that. And you can even do it in yin classes. Yeah. Repetition of poses also is super helpful, especially if you are trying really hard or trying to be finicky about cueing because you don't necessarily have enough time to cue everything the first time through. So maybe you cue the lower half of the body round one, you cue the upper half of the body round two, and then round three, you reiterate the theme or something different. Then you also have enough time to really share the technicalities of the posture that you wouldn't normally have unless you held the person in the pose for 18 minutes. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Another thing that's fun is getting into poses differently. Most of the time, I will get people in down dog from plank. But if you have people start at the back of their mat in a forward fold and walk out to plank, I mean, walk out to down dog, it feels different. Oh, yeah. I love playing around with, you know, you talk about like repeating a sequence, but I also like reversing the sequence. Mm -hmm. So take them literally up into and then take them the exact same way back down out of Mm -hmm. and how much fun that is. Or like you say, mandala style, where you even flip them around on their mat and, and playing around with sequences that aren't just step forward, step back, step forward, Mm -hmm. step back. I think it's always fun to do a class where they're walking back to their forward fold and walking forward to their plank with their hands and leaving their feet still. I think it's fun. It's great. I still want to try the mandala style uh, because I have never done that. In fact, that's why I was like, oh, shoot, I've got to remember to write that down. (laughs) So I can look it up. Yeah. One thing I think that we should bring up as we're talking about yoga sequencing is the importance of, you know, what all do you put in that front half of the sequence versus what all do you put in that back half or back third of that sequence? You and I have talked, I'm sure, at nauseum about warming up and prepping the body for whatever that peak pose is. But in general, what are some classic warm-ups? And those classic warm-ups are sun salutations or you know any kind of movement of the body, whether it is cat-cow sequences or a lot of times it's core and bird dog sequences or you know any sort of uh, poses that are going to be heating and to be honest a seated posture with heating pranayama is also a great Mm warm-up for your peak poses whether that's like breath of fire or kapalabhati breathing you know skull shining or whatever in order to heat the body up you know i like that you mentioned pairing and warming it up because you do i i really struggle with this with teacher training because we know that we have we're teaching teachers how to teach and most of them get it eventually but a lot of times they don't understand they want to start out on the gate being the most creative teachers that were ever birthed and they put all of this wild stuff in because they're excited and I get that but being basic doing the basics keeping things as simple as possible to let the body warm up and prepare for those other poses is so important you can get fancy later but fancy doesn't really have a good place in that first mountain of of your class yeah I was always I always like to tell my students that they also so don't have to have a 100% unique sequence every time. 
And I always think it's funny that their eyes become wide open when I tell them that they literally could use the same sequence seven days in a row and make it feel very different (laughs) in their students' bodies if they simply focused on a different body part. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, well, say Monday, you focus on their feet, but on Tuesday, you focus on their heart. And on Wednesday, you focus on their knees. And on Thursday, you focus on their shoulders. And you can literally change the way that sequence feels in their body simply by changing what body part you focus on. Mm-hmm. And the students are not going to remember what you did. They may remember parts of a sequence, but that is something that I think a lot of new instructors do. They feel like every single time they step on the mat, it has to be brand spanking new and it has to be earth shattering. Earth and- shattering. <laughs> And it doesn't, but that's one of the things about practicing over and over again. And one thing I do have most all of my teacher trainees do is come up with five little short sequences that they always know. So if they are teaching a class and they look up and they're like, holy crap, I still have 20 minutes left in this class. What am I going to do? The very first sequence that I came up with like that was the one I just told you, that five-pointed star to triangle to pyramid to low lunge, revolved to low lunge and then reverse it back out. And anytime, and I've told enough of my teacher trainees that, that they know if I'm doing that in the class or they think they know, I ran out of time ran out of things to do and and had more time. And I'm like, no, this is intentional because I just happen to like this flow. But it is nice to have something like that in your toolbox as Tanya and I like to mention our little toolboxes, but have some little short sequences that you can add direction to, that you can have your favorite little short sequence. I have one called Flaming Quadasana, Flaming Quads because it makes your legs burn off. And one of my students in Texas named it, this must be your Flaming Quadasana pose. But it's just a little, very short flow that makes your legs feel like quads of fire. But you can add like 50 things to it. So you can do it. And I've gotten now where people go, you're doing flaming quads and you're trying to trick us. We know that it's, (laughs) we know what you're doing, lady. But if you have things like that, you can fall back on. It helps you feel more confident as an instructor because you're not trying to reinvent the wheel all the time. I think it's funny you said quads of fire. And I know you said flaming quadasana, but what I uh-huh. glommed onto was quads of fire. So it's not chariots of fire no. where you hear the song, the you know, unchained melody come out, but instead it's quads of fire. That's yeah. hilarious. I know, yeah. I know. You know, I you would not you have not done one of my classes, I don't think, ever. Uh-huh. I'm trying to remember if you have. You may have done I don't know if you've ever done one. I'm trying to remember. But yeah, you would laugh because I, I do believe in laughter also in class. And when people are looking way too serious and they're holding their breath and I always have to say something like that just to make them laugh because you know life's too short to be serious all the time. I only have one pet peeve that I want to throw out for (laughs) sequences in Mm -hmm. this is my pet peeve and I feel like energetically it's logical. If you want to argue with me and tell me why it's not, I'm (laughs) I'm okay with that. But my estimation is once you bring students down onto their mats, Please don't bring them back for another standing pose. I agree 100%. So Um, if you have to switch the order of a couple of poses so that you're not doing that, then please don't. So once you bring your students down onto the mat, whether they're on their belly or their butt or their back, please don't bring them back up for another standing sequence. Mm -hmm. Hold it up. Now, I'm not referring to the first couple times 
through where you take them down to their belly for their low cobra and then their vinyasa. That's not what I'm referring to. But if you take them down onto the mat for anything that is a pose on the mat, they should be staying on the mat for the rest of the class. There are some things that I will do. I'll have like a a a flowing camel in the middle of a flow, but we're not, we're still flowing and we do flowing camel. So I do bring them down on the mat, but I don't bring them down to locust pose and then decide to get them up and let's do 50 sun salutations. So I would agree too, because mentally they're inside the run. They're like, thank God we're finally, and then you're, you're getting them back up and they're like, well, crap, you know? (laughs) And so I, I think it's a, it's a little mental challenge for them when you do that to your students. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's also just a little tricky on their central nervous system. So it's not highly recommended. I do have a book that I'll share just because I think it's a good book. And the book I was thinking of sharing is Yoga Sequencing by Mark (laughs) Evans. That's one of my three books I have too. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good book. Yoga Sequencing by Mark Stevens. And then what are your other books? Well, I don't usually mention my book very much at all. But I do know in the book I wrote, Badass and Bendy, I do have yoga flows in there for different things. They're geared toward, of course, I had breast cancer. There are flows in there that and talk, can talk you through why you might want that. And then there's another book by Tara Stiles. It's an older book, but it's called Slim, Calm, Sexy Yoga. She has, you know, flows in here for allergies, flows in here for smooth skin, for balance, for arousal and desire for toning your abs so she has a lot of little flows and things in there like that that I remember when I I don't remember I mean I'd been teaching probably a long time before when I before I bought it the first time I got it, I was like oh that's kind of cool the way she had broken it down for what you were the uh, working towards mm-hmm. yeah that the way the path to holistic health is is it's all based on what the ailment is and then here's the yoga postures that you should do to work on that mm-hmm. ailment and, and yoga as medicine has some of that in it mm-hmm. as well. But I think one other one too that's fun because it incorporates the discussion about themes and how to, you know, ribbon that into your sequence is the theme weaver. And that was a book mm-hmm. you introduced me to. Yeah. And that's a great book too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yep. If you have any great sequences that you guys love, share them with us and we'll try them out in our studio. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. I'm Kat Khan. And I am Tanya Rice. And this is Two Pittas on a Pod signing off. Thank you for listening to Two Pittas on a Pod. We're grateful you joined us. Join us again for more musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learned, laughed, and enjoyed this podcast. And we hope you will share your comments or questions. Email us at twopittasonapod at gmail.com. And like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two Pittas on a Pod.